Welcome, welcome, guys. We are back for another edition of the Lock In. I am joined, as usual, by Daryl Kearney. Daryl, welcome. Delighted to be here, David. And um, in 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 the month of whatever it is this uh, month. <laughs> not yet. Is. Not yet. Don't don't give it away yet. Well, look, you're usually the only legend in the in the room, but we are very lucky this week that we have another bona fide poker legend. He is. Uh, don't take this the wrong way. I'm gonna here's the, here's the introduction I planned for you, sir. Our guest this week is a two-time bracelet winner. He is also the winner of the £55 bounty tournament at the Genting Casino in Sheffield. He is the charming, the affable Hendon mobster. He is our friend Barney Boatman. Barney, welcome. Well, that was pretty desperate, wasn't it? That's uh, proof if it was ever needed that legend just means old blood. Well, I'll, <laughs> uh, I'll take it. £55? I'll, I'll, I'll have to make sure that gets... 2012. Like... 2012, Sheffield, November 2012. <laughs> A bit of story behind that, a bit of bitterness as I do you in the final or something. I mean, <laughs> I I was only at the twenty quid level at that stage, so I, I didn't go. To yeah, this. you were watching the higher order from behind the, from behind the rope. <laughs> yeah, one of my favourite things about the Hendon Mob is going on some like big famous parents, seeing what the what the smallest result they have is. Um, that can be quite edifying. My my smallest result for the record is a min cash in a free roll. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> well, look, you guys may remember back last Christmas. In fact, it was we had a very special show with our good pal Neil Channing. It was very clear that the content of that show was not recorded at Christmas. In fact, I don't think it was even recorded in December. Uh, so similarly, this show has been pre-recorded. Uh, so I'm not quite sure when it's going to air. But uh, I, I do have to say, uh, we'd have no knowledge of whatever happened in poker last week. I, I'm sure there was some scandals uh, that we are not going to be able to cover, unfortunately. Let's face it, there's a scandal every week, so there probably will be one. But I thought we would start, therefore, with a little game of let's guess what the headlines will have been like when this show finally goes out. Does that mean I've already said everything I've got to say? Can I go? <laughs> you, you have to guess a headline of something that might have happened in poker. I'm going to guess, like, in August. Okay. Oh, oh. Oh, there's going to be tons of stuff because it's a silly season. Right? I think that's uh, first of all, Elon Musk is going to announce that he's been developing an AI robot, computer ro uh, poker robot, which uh, which mimics human tendency. So he's working particularly on speech play. So it's like a optimal speech play that's guaranteed to send anyone on tilt. And he turns it on for the first uh, demonstration, and it just shouts nine high like a boss and. <laughs> I thought it was going to be my follow-up when I heard what you said. That's brilliant. <laughs> uh, it just, you know, and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. No shame in passing. It keeps shouting and stuff like that. <laughs> it quite explodes, and, and uh, uh, it's a big failure. And there's, there's going to be a, there's got to be a couple of COVID-related ones, right? So, um, GG Poker announces um, a new live tour um, worldwide, calls it the Super Spreader, and then immediately has to uh, apologise for the bad taste. Um, <laughs> Then evidence emerges that, um, that Charlie Carroll didn't actually develop in the wild, but he actually came from a lab. And <laughs> maybe they were developing uh, legal hires or something. I thought John Hesp would turn out to be his father. I thought that was how that one was going to end. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I think uh, August, this should be round about the time that the story should start emerging, that half the cast of EastEnders are, uh, are now driving cabs because Ross Bunkman has sent them skint on set. <laughs> burning days he used to do but I think the biggest scandal actually and this is probably really going to happen sooner or later the footage is going to emerge that, that shows without any question of doubt that uh, the other man poker million was in fact scripted by John Duffy and it was all filmed in Barry Hearn's shed and there was no million pounds none of it happened uh, they've kept a lid on it for a very long time I don't know how they've managed it were you in on it? You must have been in on it. Sure, of course, obviously. Or were you there by CGI? Well, six prize. I wouldn't take anything less. <laughs> Fourteen grand or nothing. Dara, any headlines you can think of? Um, I, I, I'm thinking maybe we'll finally uh, get the sequel to Brexit um, called Sexit when when the Scots decide to leave. The Scots, having got a taste for leaving early um, after they got knocked out of the Euro. 2020s or whatever we're going to call them are going to decide they've, they've had enough and they're going to leave the UK 
Yeah, made worse by the fact that the English did actually win the Euros. Congratulations, England. The Scots just couldn't bear to be that near you anymore. Well, I've got to say, I'm delighted about that. Although uh, my win, my, my my one big punt has been that I uh, I backed Wales before the start at 280 to one, <coughs> and um, planning to uh, planning to bail out at some point. But uh, but uh, I probably won't. I'm probably going to hold out for the 30 grand. So. Uh, if England come a noble second to Wales in a in a shootout, I won't be too upset. <laughs> you did a good bit of business, I hope. Well, look, we're going to hit our first topic here, and it is poker sponsorship. Uh, I spoke to our mutual friend, Kat Arnsby, about this topic ahead of time, and she said, and I quote, actually, I've taken out, it's not exactly I quote, because I've taken out some of her sweary language, because we both know, we all know what she's like. Um, she said, it's not okay how the poker world forgets older players. Barney is one of the OGs, yet we've got that arsehole Bilzerian representing the game. Fuck that. (laughs) Dara, we have discussed many times how there is sort of an ageism in poker, uh, particularly as it pertains to marketing poker. It it strikes me that older ambassadors would help to attract an older demographic who have a bit of money. And it would also be very good role modeling for the younger players in the game. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree completely. I, I I think it is one of those situations that it is the way it is just because it is the way it is. There's a famous story about um, uh, an efficiency expert who was brought in to try and make the, the French rail system um, more efficient, which, you know, that's a tough ask to start. But but he came in and he found that there was, there, there was this one train which uh, left from Paris, went north, then sort of veered east, then went west, and then eventually started going south down to where it was actually supposed to go. And he he asked various people what why is this the route like there's a more direct route and nobody could explain it to him he eventually found an old timer who said oh my god are we still doing that we used to do that during the war to uh, to confuse the germans um and i think in poker what happened is at the start they just decided who's going to play online poker it's going to be all young people and it's going to be mostly guys so the the, the ambassadors need to be young guys and and that's just sort of just continued because it's that's that's the status quo right now they've never sort of stood back and thought well hang on a minute who actually what do you need to play online poker you need free time and you need a bit of money uh which demographic typically has that the music industry has figured this out like they market to 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 an older audience because they know that they are uh they tend to consume more um, of certain types of, of music than um, than younger people, but the poker industry just never seemed to have got the got the message on this, um, which is quite staggering. And then the other issue is that like the kind of things that attract young people to the game and attract older people are are different. Young people are primarily interested in you know the glamour, can I make a lot of money, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Older people are more worried about will my money be stolen in the middle of the night, and. <laughs> You know, hiring some young guy in a hoodie who, who looks like he might still live at home with his mom in his basement isn't going to reassure them on that front. So, yeah, I think it's definitely the case that the poker industry just needs to wake up on well, this. It probably looks like he only leaves his mom's basement to steal your money. <laughs> I mean, I was actually, I was put in to confuse the Germans in the first place, actually. And I did a pretty good job for a couple of years. So I was uh, <laughs> marking a couple of the top German players. No, it's, it, it's true. I mean, I, I think that... Um, Actually, you know, one of the things that's happened is the the, the major sponsorship deals now surely are genuine celebrities, you know, sports people. Because I mean, at the beginning, when poker sponsorship started, they, they, they were trying to sell the idea of poker at all as a game, and they were trying to get people in and and build something that wasn't there, or you know, to any great extent. And uh, now they're either after each other's. Um, player bases, or, or they're after completely new people from outside the game. And, you know, whereas we might have thought we were celebrities at one time, you know, actually, my next door neighbours, either here or in Madrid, never heard of Daniel Negrano or, or Phil Elmer. I mean, well, you know, it, it's um, so, you know, old or young, I, I think that um, probably the, the days of sponsoring poker players at all. You know, it's to any great extent might be numbered. I don't know, but it is true. I mean, I, I do find that you know, when I do travel, you know, it hasn't been for a couple of years now, but when I play in smaller events around the UK or in Spain or wherever, um, that there are a lot of people who um, 
like to relate to you, like to feel like you're one of them, you know, uh, and uh, I don't care that you're not the best in the world. Like, you know, um, that if, if you do get your bit of success, they feel like, oh, that could be me, you know, and, um, you know, that is, that's a kind of aspiration as well. It's just uh, old folks' aspiration. <laughs> no, I 100% I mean, agree. I mean, it's not all about age, is it? I mean, it's, it's about just if you've got other stuff going on in your life, if you don't see yourself as a pro, if you're a recreational player of any age. Absolutely. Well, speaking of Bilzerian, which I suppose uh, sort of was Kat's point, although maybe it was good that we didn't get into him directly because we've talked well too much about him over the last few months anyway. Uh, the meteoric rise of Gigi in the past few years has certainly been one of the big stories of the last few years, no doubt. I think the last time we saw anything even resembling that sort of rise in the game was full tilt in the latter half of the 2000s. Bernie, you had a front row seat for full tilt's explosive growth. Is it dangerous to get too big too quick? I mean, I, I don't think you can necessarily extrapolate that exact lesson from what happened with Full Tilt. I mean, you know, obviously a lot of very specific things happened. Uh, but yes, it's probably it's probably dangerous for people who aren't business people to find themselves running a huge business <laughs> and, and dealing with stuff that they're not equipped to deal with. Uh, it's probably dangerous putting a bunch of uh, nosebleed sickos in charge of, you know, billions of pounds of money that, you know, I mean um, and you know I'm sure lessons will learn that but you know I mean Full Tilt was a very particular story I mean people talk about it as being oh it was a Ponzi scheme and stuff and, you know, and obviously a lot of people um, suffered from what happened but like you've got to remember it was a it was a great idea it was a great site you know it was a great product it wasn't you know it wasn't something that was invented to fleece people of their money any more than any other online site is, obviously, but it was, um, you know, there was a very special set of circumstances that resulted in, in what went on. Were there any, I suppose, indications? I remember getting those kind of weird checks from Canadian banks, and I remember someone made a joke recently about, you know, that they were the good old days when you got your weird checks sent to you. I uh, will see if you ever cashed out, you might have. <laughs> that was never a problem for me. <laughs> Uh, I mean, you asked if there were, I mean, actually, me personally, not only did I not really spot what was going on before it happened, but even as it happened, I didn't really understand it. It took me a long time uh, to get my head. I mean, for one thing, it wasn't, it didn't appear to be just full tilt at the time. It appeared to be um, party and absolute um, that all got frozen, frozen out by the DOJ at the same time. Uh, and from where we were sitting, we knew that there'd been this issue about the law, about this act that had come in shortly after Full Tilt started, which uh, which went after the processing, went after the money, but didn't go after um, poker directly. And there was this kind of grey area about whether poker uh, was legal or illegal. And um, I guess we probably knew something about the fact that Full Tilt had taken legal advice that poker you know wasn't gambling and that's okay and obviously what we didn't know is all the things they were doing to get around the issue um so you know when black friday happened um i actually thought oh you know they've closed down the american operation full tilt was very very american based um this is going to be a real problem for the business and, and the best thing we can do until they resolve it is to try and build the rest of the world as much as possible, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and um, we and the Hendon will be carried on wearing full tilt logos right into the Through the World series that year. We didn't take the, uh, the full tilt um, banners off our site straight away. And for, for a while, you know, we felt like, you know, uh, I mean, I don't remember when I first began to hear about the kind of dodgy stuff that people had got into to try and get around the issues and that had, that had, um, snowballed into not um, segregating funds and all the rest of it. But certainly that summer, uh, that wasn't clear to me at all. Um, and, you know, people were coming up to me at the World Series and saying, why are you wearing that logo? These bastards have got my money. And I'd say, I'm really sorry they got your money. I hope it gets resolved. And if you can tell me how taking this logo off will help you get your money, I'll take it off right now. You know, 
And um, we, uh, I, I guess we had a very different relationship because we got in with Full Tilt because of a website, largely. Um, and uh, be, before we were with Full Tilt, the, the business model was very much, we had a lot of different banners, a lot of different adverts. We had a lot of different acquisition deals. And that all got, we went exclusive with Full Tilt. All that got taken off and Full Tilt replaced it. So when Full Tilt went down, effectively in kind of slow motion, so did our business. You know, and, and that was, you know, in the end, we, although we carried on for a while, we ended up selling the site because of that. Um, so, you know, we were, you know, for a while there, we, you know, we just thought we've got to try and keep this going. Um, that's going to be what's best for everybody. Yeah, well, that's a really good counter argument because in a way you keeping the logo on, although I'm sure it was a trigger for people whose money was locked up. Actually, it was really important for that business to still look like a viable business so that they could sell what assets they have. And that's how, you know, ultimately people did get their money back, I suppose. I mean, I don't think I was thinking quite that uh, in quite as complex a way as that, but that was that, that was kind of roughly my thinking. And, and, and like, you know, I wasn't aware that anything could, that, you know, that could be described as unethical or illegal had been going on. Um, still don't know the full story, don't, you know, it still seems to me that like no one started out uh, to do that stuff, but, it, but it, you know, a few very bad decisions were taken and it kind of snowballed and some of it was, you know, that processors weren't honouring deposits and full tilt was actually saying, we'll give you your money, you go ahead and play, we'll sort it out with the processors later. And once they started to do that, and once they started to dip into other players' money, obviously, you know, that's no good, you can't do that. You know, and, um, you know, once I understood that had been going on, I could see that, you know, I could see why people were as angry as they were. Absolutely. Well, Dara, there are a bunch of poker sites operating these days, I guess, in unregulated territories. It's not dissimilar from how the UIGEA sort of applied its, its overarching rule, and that's sort of still happening now. Uh, there are also a bunch of poker apps doing God knows what to make money for themselves in ways that cannot possibly be legit. I was asking you both to do predictions at the very start of what headlines might be, but could we see another Black Friday type event at some point in the future, Dar? We absolutely could, yeah, 100%. Um, anytime you have, you know, large operators in a market essentially operating outside the law or at least bending or breaking the regulations uh, in, in areas, there's the possibility for this to happen. We, we it, it would have been inconceivable before Black Friday. We, you know, if you'd said to somebody, we're going to wake up one morning and there's going to be a big DOJ sign on the, on the stars and full tilt, web pages you would have said no that, that that's not going to happen they'll do it some other way they'll put a fine on them or something but so 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 so, so uh, uh, but on but then on the other hand the poker industry has kind of learned somewhat from black friday so you know people where people operate for example makes it more difficult to get at them um but nevertheless uh i do think it's definitely possible that you know you could maybe have an international uh action where a number of countries come together to clamp down on some of these sites or apps um it's definitely possible um it's it's unfortunate that so much of the market is in you know sort of gray to shady areas now um to give those sites credit they have done a very good job on one specific aspect which the main poker sites haven't done in recent years which is actually attracting new players um, ironically, a, a lot of it is based on, on misinformation. I've spoken to players who feel that they're actually safer on an app. And I don't know whether that's just a genuine misunderstanding on their part or the apps are going around, you know, saying, play on our app. You'll be, you'll be, you'll, you'll be safe from all these predatory pros who have HUDs and RTA, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, but certainly that perception is out there. Um, so that, that's one unfortunate thing. And, um, you know, if, if we take the specific example of GG, for example, a, a lot of what Barney said about Full Tilt also applies to GG. The software is genuinely very good. Um, it, it, it is very, very, very appealing to recreationalists. They've done a number of innovations, all of which uh, recreationists pretty much like. They, they've essentially taken advantage of the fact that the industry in the last few years sort of got into a, essentially um, a period of stasis where you had a very complacent um, market leader 
and a bunch of inept, well, it's perhaps unfair to call the competitors inept, but they're certainly not very apt, if that's a word. Um, <laughs> uh, not really giving them any real competition. So um, anytime that's the case, there is always the possibility for somebody to come out of left field um, and actually give the, give, the, give the market leader a genuine run for their money. Yeah, I think that's a great analysis from both of you. And thank you, Barney, in particular, for going into the details on that stuff. I'm sure anybody who was around back then hearing it from the horse's mouth now and kind of your perspective on it, they would garner value from that. Speaking of... I'll tell you what probably is going to cause the whole house of cards of poker to come down sometime soon is is when Phil Helmuth wins the uh, 20th consecutive double or quit. (laughs) (laughs) And there's just no more money left in the world to pay. <laughs> so, we're, so we're adding a prediction that he he not only beat Negreanu in game three, but he went on and won several more. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, getting getting ridiculously lucky every time, and Daniel Negreanu got just going going more and more gaga every time, and and uh, yeah, eventually he's just double or quit for you know everything. I'm yeah. okay with the world where he double or quits himself into oblivion. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the great intellectual debates is what would be the last living organisms on Earth, and you know, a lot of people think it would be a cockroach. I think in the poker world, it will definitely be Helmut uh, standing there <laughs> with all the money at the end. There was an article about him being the the I don't know the next great investor. He's like in Forbes magazine this week. Oh, I've given away when we're recording it now. You can find out when I'm recording it now. But last week or this week, uh, he's in Forbes magazine. Yeah, apparently, poker pro genius turn mega investor or something was the headline. Anyway, let's move on. Speaking of cataclysmic events, uh, which we hope obviously won't happen in in poker, uh, we spoke in a recent episode, I think it was our interview with Jesse Sylvia. Uh, Dara, you and I uh, asked him about, uh, I guess when we started playing poker, and I suppose it's fair to say that we began and pretty much within a year or two of us starting, there was a global recession. And in a weird kind of way, poker ended up being recession-proof or ended up being sort of, a, a kind of a, a, a virtual land where we could be that wasn't affected by it while you know you looked outside your window and things were getting kind of grim in the normal economy that was obviously a crash that was precipitated by the subprime crash and I read an article this week uh, one of the people to predict that crash was Michael Burry who was made famous in that movie The Big Short uh, he took the big gamble on you know subprime effectively crashing And a couple of months ago, Burry tweeted, and it kind of came up again in an article this week. He said, people always ask me what is going on in the markets. It's simple. The greatest speculative bubble of all time in all things by two orders of magnitude. Burry repeatedly has told investors that they are being way too greedy, speculating wildly, shouldering way too much risk, chasing unrealistic returns. And he pointed specifically to companies and groups like Tesla, GameStop, investments in Bitcoin, Dogecoin, Robinhood, SPACs, inflation. I throw NFTs in there right now, frankly, as well. And just the broader stock market as well. Um, so, Barney, are we ripe? Maybe if it's not going to happen in poker quite yet, are we ripe for another economic collapse? You're asking me. I'm, I've got all, I always have all my money tied up in cash and Jaffa cakes. I don't... Uh... <laughs> well, those Jaffa cakes don't go off. You know, yeah, well, I'm... Uh... I mean, there's always a bubble, isn't it? Any given time, unless a bubble is just in the process of bursting, we're always somewhere in the uh, in, in the the inflationary uh, part of the of, of the bubble's development. Um, whether I mean, I, I I don't know. I don't know. What do I know? But like, I I do know that. I mean, do you remember when uh, they first had that problem when they d- introduced these computer al- algorithms and automatic trading on the stock market so all these kind of stock points and yeah. all of a sudden you know things would hit uh, shares would hit a certain point and it would you know these computers would all say sell or they'd also you know so you've got this incredible volatility <clears throat> i think the equivalent uh, of, of that in the real world now is is like is social media and the, the general connectivity of the world you know so as soon as um a football player moves about the coke two foot to the left uh, Coke shares go out the window as soon as Elon Musk makes a joke about Dogecoin, you know, whatever. Uh, and you know, th- there's this kind of, you know, we're all, we're all these little fish, and one 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 fish flicks, they all flick, you know. And, and so, just you know, 
just that very fact about how the world, you know, works makes us more vulnerable, you know, uh, to, to, to anything that might occur, whether or not, I mean, it, it, you know, the more you follow it, the more it's, you know, the, the, the more it seems to be based on less, you know, I mean, uh, you know, we, we knew why everything dropped a year and a half ago. Um, it's less clear why everything's returned to where it was. Um, so it's, you know, the thing is what he's saying is a very believable story. He's got previous for being right. So, you know, if he's believed, it'd be a self-fulfilling prophecy anyway, wouldn't it? Um, I mean, if you can do that to Coke by moving a Coke bottle, what can he do by saying the things he's saying? I don't know. I have to say, I loved your analogy there, but it's always marine life with poker players, isn't it? The fish. Yeah, <laughs> Darren, there's a phrase in finance, bulls make money, bears make money, and the pigs get slaughtered. Uh, the billy-come-latelys are often the pigs in that analogy. The other groups I would also point to maybe, and that might be more specific to these times, are young people in general who actually any wealthy young people worldwide tend to have money in crypto. It's actually been pretty well documented at this point. But poker players more specifically, I think, are like I listed those things. And that's like all fucking poker Twitter talks about is basically all the things I listed as being the things that he thinks are all, you know, part of this huge bubble. So when you look at those asset classes and you think about poker players and how they're sort of they have a tendency towards gambling and maybe putting irresponsible amounts, you know, or irresponsible parts of their net worth into these kinds of things. It does make you think that if the global market was to just, you know, explode, like say it's on dancing on the knife edge now, and it was to just kind of go and Barry is right. Do you think poker will be one of the worst hit places? Like if, if we, um, have no investment in that. I'm thinking to myself now, could I be like one of the richest poker players in the world playing my 1Ks? Um, it's certainly possible. I mean, before I get into that, I just want to preface uh, th 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 this whole section by saying that the three of us talking about economics and the, and, 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 and the future <laughs> world is a bit like listening to three fish uh, who barely know the hand rankings getting into the finer points of GTO. So, so, so everybody watching this needs to bear that in mind. Um, but I mean, this, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt. This is the bit where, yeah, we have to put the not financial advice logo at the bottom. I think I, think I just did that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I don't think there's much risk anybody would take financial advice from any of the three of us anyway. But um, having got the legalities out of the way, I think the people who are overexposed are, the, are sort of the players. So, um, you know, a lot of people have sunk a lot of their previous winnings into um, these high risk, high volatile investments. So they might actually come running back to the game if it all goes uh, pear shaped and could actually make, make, make the game tougher. What we've seen in sort of in the last few years is that sort of class of players have sort of moved up in stakes. And now they're, you're seeing far more live high rollers and recently online high rollers than you did in the past. But there's a gulf between that then and the next class down, which are the class where we all inhabit. I don't think our um, area would necessarily be greatly affected. You started off the segment by saying that when the when there was a crash of the late um, 2000s, poker was relatively unaffected. And, and, and that was true. The, the, the big, uh, you know, my world was almost completely unaffected. I just went on doing what I was doing, playing online. The biggest difference for me was when I, we had recently moved into a house and, you know, it's, it was a new estate. And then over the start of the 2000s, the cars got bigger and bigger to the point where you could barely fit all the cars in the street on the street and people were arguing over parking spaces. And then in the space of a few years, you saw all the cars disappear or shrink. Um, and now the cars have gotten bigger again. So I'm seeing more and more fights between neighbors over parking spaces. So to be honest, you know, my, my, my wife was complaining recently about all the big cars in our street. So I think, you know, she, she, she for one would be very happy if there's a, if there's another major question coming. And actually, interestingly, you mentioned cars there. I, I know for a fact that subprime lending as mortgage lending, so backed by homes for hundreds of thousands, say like 90% or it became like 110% of the price of a house. Those 
fucking bankers know that customer really well. Now, regulations may restrict them from making those kind of loans to them anymore. They can't give them 110% loans on half a million and a million quid houses. But what they do know is that they can give them 20 grand loans and 30 grand loans on for cars and for these kind of home improvements or whatever it is. And actually, they know their customer and they're using all the same fucking techniques to try and get those people to over leverage right now. So your car analogy or your car sort of uh, example there could exactly be the sort of canary in the coal mine for this whole situation. Keep keep us abreast of how many fucking SUVs come into Clonsilla over the next few weeks, Darryl, please. I will, yeah, I'll keep it. Keep, keep, yeah, it's, it's it's even sadder than train spotting, car spotting, but um, I'll, I'll, give it a, I'll give it a shot. Well, moving on, I have to say, Barney, I listened to that lovely episode of Cara Scott's uh, recently, The Heart of Poker, that you, uh, you gave her the best interview anyway. But I, I was deeply ashamed of all of our previous interviews with you because she really got the best interview I've ever heard uh, anyone get out of you. Uh, I thought she did a wonderful job on you too. Uh, you spoke in that about your almost communist upbringing, something I didn't actually know was true. And uh, something I just thought was a really nice piece uh, uh, describing your childhood and whatever. Socialism, don't mind communism, is such a bad word in America these days and maybe the world over in, in some respect. We have a decent number of US viewers. So I thought maybe it would be nice for you to extol some positives of that upbringing or that way of life. Listen, I, uh, yeah, I, I grew up in a, um, for the first few years of my life, certainly in, in a house for quite a few years, in, in, in a house with several families in it, where we all kind of, uh, as far as the kids were concerned, we, we were all sharing each other's stuff, but like, that wasn't what was really going on. Every family had like a floor in the house each. Um, my dad was a, was a, a very committed trade unionist, um, um, and my mum was very political as well, and, and, and um, they were all quite left wing, and and, and um, we we got a lot of great values from them. I think in, in terms of you know fairness and very big. I, mean, I grew up with you know my my mum's from a Jew, Russian Jewish family, and I grew up with stories about Cable Street and fighting racism. And, um, that was always a, a big thing for me. Um, but also, I mean, one of the things about growing up in an environment with ideas that are different is you just learn the lesson that just because everybody says something doesn't mean it's so. And to, uh, and, and to trust your own instincts about stuff. Uh, and um, so that, you know, that was good. And, um, you know, because people say, you know, how does it tie in with poker? It sort of does and it sort of doesn't because, um, I mean, certainly I was, I was a very individualistic and very adventurous kid. I, I don't know if you know, I've, I hitchhiked around Europe for six weeks when I was 15, um, which, I, uh, which I hadn't had permission to do. I just did it. Uh, and uh, you know, I spent half the time getting stoned with American soldiers who, uh, who were back from Vietnam with, uh, with bags of weed or whatever. So, I mean, I had quite, you know, it, it wasn't all about the politics. It was about the freedom, you know, uh, which is something I would imagine Americans could relate to. Um, I mean, as far as, so, you know, I've, yeah, I've still got, um, you know, I've got a kind of portfolio of political views. I don't fit into any one box, I don't think, but certainly I lean to the left on, on all big issues, you know, I think probably in, in as much as you can identify that. Um, and um, to me, socialism is part of, you know, it's part of what it means, it's part of the picture. It means things like the national health. It means, it means stuff that, you know, it, it, it means you know, basic stuff being there for everybody, not not leaving people, you know, who can't take care of themselves to you know to uh, to rot to fall by the wayside. You know, one of the big tragedies about what's happening in the UK and in lots of parts of the world at the moment with this pandemic is is that we've got exactly the wrong people in charge. You know, we've got people whose instinct is, oh, this is an opportunity to make some money. You know, uh, who, who've been already been busy dismantling uh, the welfare state and the national health over the last 10 years and more. And then now all of a sudden finding out the value of it, you know, just in time. But, but won't, that won't stop them going back to their old ways. So, you know, it, it, socialism doesn't necessarily mean 
that you don't have individualism, that you don't have people doing... I mean, for me, poker in, in many ways is... is, is um, it might not suit me philosophically, but it suits me temperamentally. You know, it's like, um, you know, it, 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 it's very, you know, it, it's people from all over. You get to meet people, you know, you know, there, there shouldn't be any isms. I mean, there didn't used to be many women in the game when I got in, involved and that's been a big improvement. But generally speaking, you know, you travel around the world um, and um, you, you know, okay, you're, you're, you're out for yourself. And so it's a kind of, you know, it's not socialism in that sense, but you're, I don't know, it's, it, it, it's, it's a big adventure and it's all about, it gives you an opportunity to discover the world. And, and, and you know, and uh, I like to think it's possible not to get too brutalised by the game and to hold on to the stuff that's important. You know, you're a dad, you know that. Absolutely. No, I, and I was struck as well. Dara, I know you've, talk to me in the past about how there's some communists in your greater family as well and how that sort of value maybe isn't doesn't manifest itself as communism for you but you're clearly similar to myself and what Barney has said there very left of center and um and, and has those views yet we've all sort of made peace with poker and that outlook uh, as well and I'm just interested to get your take on that and maybe leap off from what Barney said yeah, the, the 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 communism in my family is on is, is obviously my wife's side of the family. Her her, her dad is an old was an old style communist, and um and and pretty much all her brothers and etc. were were involved in that sort of area as well. Um, one thing which which I always think is sort of you know history is written by the winners, and people tend to write off communism now as as, as this horrible failure, and obviously it had terrible aspects uh, in in its implementation you know it, it was one of those those things where the implementation was very very different from the theory um you know you could you could classify it as great idea in theory that didn't work out in practice uh, but you do sometimes see in western europe a sort of a um a looking down on eastern europeans for having having gone through that period and for me it's always been the opposite i thought well at least they were brave enough to try something which was completely and utterly different and potentially a lot better now it didn't work out unfortunately human nature being the way that it is when you get people to the top they will abuse any system um, that is in place and unfortunately that particular system uh, led itself to even more egregious abuses than than the sort of every man for its for, for himself system that's called cam- capitalism but yeah, for me, it, it, it sort of goes down as a glorious failure um, and, you know, give credit to, to, to those people for at least trying something different. Socialism, you know, that's that does seem like a somewhat decent halfway house. Um, and it is good to see, you know, all, all of the achievements that Barney listed for socialism, health services, et cetera, et cetera. They're all something which I think Europeans are justifiably proud of. Um, there is a there is a movement coming uh, to sort of try and get rid of all that stuff and return us to a more naked capitalist state. Um, and, you know, I think I think I think it would be a lot worse if we if we got to that stage. There's a tendency also to see sort of America as the as the high point of capitalism. But like the American system is very unusual in that they essentially have a very fucked up form of socialism um, called the military. <laughs> where a huge amount of uh, resources are, are 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 diverted, and in many ways it does act in some ways as sort of like really weird socialism. They they take people out of poverty, they put them through education, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but they have to, they have to learn to learn to shoot a gun. I think the more naked capitalism, pure capitalism, you you actually see in a lot of the failed states um, around the world, where there are no sort of uh, Reg- regulatory um, protections on people, and uh, so, so yeah, the, the the whole like capitalism good. Look at America, socialism bad. Look at some former Eastern European country. Um, is yeah, that doesn't hold water for me. Also, the idea that it's somehow synonymous with democracy and freedom um, doesn't really bear a great deal of examination, and certainly in the states right now, it's frightening how flimsy. That is, um, you know, and, and uh, how under attack it is, and that's uh, that's one of the big fights that's going on. They've got a massive fight on their hands just just to defend what democracy they do have. Um, so that we'll be watching that with uh, fear and interest. 
And we do, I suppose we do wash it with, you know, uh, sort of maybe through, through through the fingers in our hands at, at times yeah. as well on this side of the pond. Um, I'm conscious maybe, have we done enough ostracizing half of our audience now, Darren? <laughs> More than more than more than half of ours. I mean, I would say on the on the whole, you know, socialism is a bad word. I think there there is also a lot of evidence that that's becoming less of a case in, in, mm. in the US. People, uh, you know, you you do have politicians openly using the S word um, and not immediately being uh, shunned from public service. I think a lot of the younger generation coming through in their values uh, in the states are whether they realized it or not, um, actually quite socialist. So, you know, there, there's certainly grounds for, 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 for optimism as well. Yeah, well okay. What you're describing is a mixed economy. I mean, the, the, the original definition of socialism would have been much more, you know, all the means of production are in the hands of, of the people and all the rest of it. And, and um, it, things, have, things have got a little bit more complicated now and, and most people don't mean that anymore. They mean something more like what you're describing. Yeah. yeah. Well, we started that segment with a uh, sort of reference to Kara Scott's wonderful podcast, and it may, made me think of uh, maybe other podcasts that, you know, Dara and yourself, Barney and myself, we, we all go on other people's shows from time to time. And I thought to myself, I suppose, like one of the things you're always trying to do, yeah, you're doing your promoting thing, maybe we're trying to go there and sell poker at some level. But there's another part of it, which is always about like, can you get a different kind of interview or, or, or can you give a different kind of interview too? I suppose when we're interviewing people, I'm always conscious of the other interviews they've done. And I, I hope that in our prep work, Dara, we can make our one a little bit different or stand out. And then similarly, when you go on someone else's show, you're very conscious of the fact that there are people who maybe... Uh, I don't want to say through no fault their own because I suppose it would be their fault, but they get a very samey interview out of you as other people do. And you're kind of hoping that they get a more interesting one. And with that in mind, I was wondering, Dara, has anybody in the last year or so maybe, you know, got into a different nook of your life or maybe taken in a, taken you in a different direction to when you uh, normally go? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give credit to Brad Wilson here. I think the last interview I did uh, covered a lot of ground that, that, that I would normally cover. Um, it is something I've become more conscious of over time. You know, the first time you do a podcast, you don't really even think about what you're going to say. You're just going to answer the questions that are that, that, that are asked. But maybe after the 10th one, you start to realize that you keep getting asked the same questions and you keep giving the same answers. And that's quite boring. I think it also depends on your audience as well. Like I've done a few what I would call mainstream podcasts, which are aimed at people who have no idea who I am and know very little about poker. And I don't think you should really diverge too far in those you do kind of have to give the same story over and over again you have to work out you know what are the things they want to hear that are true obviously and 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 then get those across but when you're dealing with the other type of podcast which is most podcasts that we go on which are other poker podcasts if you just give the same interview over and over again um it gets very very samey and dull and there's really no point to it you know you might as well tell people just go back and listen to my thinking poker interview it's I was asked the same questions and I gave the same answers. Um, so uh, yeah, like nowadays, even if I do get asked the same question, I do try and come at it from a different angle or, you know, tell it at least tell a different anecdote. Um, although I'm kind of at the grandpa Simpson stage now where I'm not sure what anecdotes I've ever, I've already told even on my own show. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah. that's what I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, D David Boy told me once that it, like he had a particular problem in this area because obviously when he had a new album out, he would be put in a hotel room and he'd have to do 50 interviews in a day. And they always asked exactly the same questions, but he said he just started making shit up at the end because <laughs> then uh, at, the, at least the answers are different. <laughs> well, Bernie, on that great uh, episode of Car Scott's show, you said something along the lines of, I'm very gregarious, but I prefer talking about other people. So I don't know, with that in mind, and, you know, maybe even going back further in time to interviews you've done, who stood out as a really good interviewer for you? A good interviewer? Yes, a good interviewer. And what, what, where did they take you, I suppose? Well, I mean, I think you've already taken my best answer, really, which is, which is Cara Scott. But, you know, I mean... Even when she was doing the little kind of post, um, you know, coming out of the game, you know, being, you know, your thing where you've been knocked out, you know, she she managed to. Um, uh, I think you got the impression she cared, <laughs> and that helped, uh, and that she was generally interested in the game and stuff like that as well. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if I've been interviewed that often, uh, apart from by you guys. Um, which clearly is a cynical attempt by us to give me a week's holiday in August. 
So that's not even, you can, don't even feel that nice thing that Cara brought. I mean, yeah, certainly, if, you know, if, if you're counting repeat business, then you're, you know, you, it's you guys, obviously. Um, <laughs> you're like stalkers now. I know what's going on. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think that it's kind of like, you know, the, 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 there's, there's always a way to, to um, turn a, uh, a, a question around to, to, to make it interesting. If, you know, I mean, I, I think people often have a job to do where they've been told they have to ask certain things. And um, I say, Auntie Chardonnay, but so, well, she, 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 she was quite good at, uh, at getting... Sarah Herring? So, yeah, yeah, getting some little extra little thing out of you. Um, but, you know, in the end, you know, often, you know, if, if, if it's a format uh, where you've been knocked out or something, you know, that's usually, most interviews I've done have been where I've just been knocked out or something. Um, you know, and they've, they've got certain things they have to ask and certainly you know, not very long and, you know, it, it's up to not, you. Not in Sheffield in 2012, Barney, that was a winner's interview that day. <laughs> Man, you've got to get over it. <laughs> I had 17 outs. <laughs> I'm intrigued by this result now. I'm going to see who, who, who else was on that final table. <laughs> oh, I don't remember that one. Well, finally, Barney, I wanted to dig deep into your uh, phenomenal Twitter game because you're probably my favourite follow on Twitter, i got to say. And, uh, and I voted for you. I got a vote last year, maybe two years ago. And I, I, I didn't vote for um, my good friend, Jamie Kerstetter. I knew she'd get too many votes anyway. I voted for you to win that uh, uh, Twitter game person of the year. Um, so what I've done is in this little last segment that we're going to do is I found my four favorite tweets of yours from the last four or five months. They're basically all 2021 tweets. So right. a couple of months ago, you said... Oh, yeah. Online poker is way more skilled than live. Just like cooking is harder when you have recipe books and scales and all the cookers and all the ingredients and all that. Joking aside, do you think live and online poker are vastly different creatures these days, thanks to all these tools? I mean, um, yes, I think they're different to each other, you mean? Yes, yeah. different from one another. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I think that's, uh, you know... Obviously, the, you, you would hope the online the lessons you learn from online bleed into your live game to some extent. Um, I'm sure if I played online, they would. <laughs> but <coughs> but like um, the stuff from the live game would only ever be stuff from the live game, and um, it matters as much as it matters. I mean, you know, it depends a lot on your game. I I, I did an interview about. Um, about Dave Elliott a couple of years ago for a documentary about him. And um, I was describing his live game uh, and what I learned from it, you know, and, and how he just kind of used everything and he was switched on all the time and he had great peripheral vision and was noticing all the little things that were going on. And, and uh, not only that, but spotting moments where he could use that um, in some way to put an idea into someone's head or stop them doing something he didn't want them to do to get a check when he wanted a check. Uh, and, um, you know, a lot, it, it's stuff that you, um, you know, Elon Musk's new um, robot notwithstanding, <laughs> it's not something you can really program in. Um, and, you know, like I say, if, if no one's doing it, it doesn't matter at all. But, if, you know, but the fact of the matter is when I go to Vegas and I sit and play in, 1Ks and 2-5 cash games and 5-10 cash games or whatever, um, there's an enormous amount of stuff going on that, that's to do with live experience. And it, you know, it's not harder or easy, uh, but uh, you know, less or more important. It's just different. And uh, you, 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 it doesn't get taught as much. I, mean, I think it's, that's one of the big differences. I mean, like, if, if, um, it's a bit like me. It's a bit like with, with computer. When I got into computing, I was a computer programmer for a while. I got in at a time when there was no career path, there was no degrees, there was no, um, you know, it was kind of playing games and solving puzzles. And uh, I never would have got into it if it was like it is now. And that's the same with poker. I don't, I don't think, you know, I would be a poker player now um, if I couldn't have got in, you know, making shit up as I went along. Um, and, you know, um, 
it, it, it wouldn't have been the game for me. So, so for me, it's it's very important and very different. And you know, but when I when I wrote that tweet, you know, I'm I'm doing my my grumpy old man shtick. You know, I'm you know, <laughs> about the kids, but you know, I love them really. I want to be one of them really. You know, but I, I like to kind of, you know wave my walk and stick it at them and say, Sonny, the stuff you don't know. Well, tweet number two. Great answer, by the way. Tweet number two. There's four of these. Uh, you said. This is a serious one, actually. It's going to be hard to, to segue into humour on this one. Mm. Ten years ago, I had a great poker deal and thought I'd be free rolling the rest of my life. Yesterday, I had a blowout in the fast lane and spanned the car, but I managed to drive to the hard shoulder, and now I know I'll be free rolling the rest of my life. And then, and then there was a little... You did add a little funny thing then. Then you said, to be honest, I'm just happy to have had a story that doesn't involve Netflix or banana bread. There you go. <laughs> Uh, well, what, what, what's the question? <laughs> so that sounds fucking awful, frankly. And I saw the photo of the flat tire. Actually, I think you, you yeah. tweeted that as well. How close to a bad accident was that, and how much of a fright did it give you? I mean, I don't. I, I, I guess it was pretty close to a bad accident because I was, I was overtaking the lorry when it happened. Um, so, <laughs> uh, and you know, it's a weird thing. I sometimes have these dreams uh, where I'm doing where something happens like. Uh, do you have these? I'm, I'm driving a car and all of a sudden it starts to spin or whatever. I, I'm on a sharp corner and I lose control and then I'm going, I'm going over the side of a hill and I'm flying and now I'm looking down and it's miles down to the ground and I'm sitting in the car thinking, oh, you know, what's going to happen there? And, <laughs> and it's kind of, in, in the dream, it's kind of serene, you know. You're, mm. you're, sometimes I think you even, you know, it becomes a lucid dream at that moment. I don't know, but like, it was a bit like that. I, uh, the car was spinning. I mean, I don't know. It didn't turn once. What I don't know. It was, you know, I say spinning. It was turning. So, I was, so at one point, I was definitely facing completely the other way. Uh, and I remember thinking, this is like one of those dreams. <laughs> I actually thought I had time to think that. And then I was like, Christ, I've got to get to the hard shoulder. Uh, and, um, you know, and I, st- you know, I managed to stick and it kind of wobbled a bit and I got it up there. And actually, these two guys... Um, uh, pulled up in, in a van um, and came running towards me because uh, they'd seen it happen and they didn't know. And so I realised that they were worried about me. So the next thing I did was kind of got out of the car and gave them the thumbs up so they knew I was all right. Uh, and it was only after all that that I kind of looked at the wheel and thought about what had just happened and thought, oh, you know, that could have ended very differently. Yeah. It is funny how you, where your brain can go. I was in a... Uh... It ended up not being a terrible accident, but it could have been easily could have been a fatal one. Uh, I think it was about eight or nine years ago. My dad was driving and we spun out on a very narrow country road and the car did a 270 and the back of the car hit the wall on the other side of the road. So if any traffic had been coming and there were cars on the road, there just wasn't in that moment. We were all goosed. But I remember in those few seconds, like that spinning out of control, oh, holy shit kind of few seconds moment thinking to myself, just pay attention. You never know, like, you don't know what you might be able to do in, yeah. you know, in a reaction to fucking, like, whether it's throw the door open or whatever. So I just became really spider-sensed. And then I felt like there was a, a drain of adrenaline from having done that. And almost a minute, it, 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 we, we kind of didn't even hit the wall that hard in the end with the back of the car. I immediately just went wobbly. Like, every, it was like all of my limbs were kind of went weak. And you just kind of took in what had just happened. And I remember thinking, geez, that's like, it's, it's, uh, it's strange where your brains go. And I remember, Dara, you saying to me, you were in a, what was, you thought was going to be a plane crash once and yeah. just went into a very maybe serene place like Barney described. Yeah. Like people often talk about the fight or flight response, but, but I actually think there's a third F as well, which is the focus response where you just get really hyper-focused um, and, and concentrate. And I, and, I, and I suspect most poker players are like that because, you know, that's kind of what we we're, we do as, as tension ratchets, ratchets up in a big life tournament, we have to actually get more and more focused. So uh, I think that's, I, I, I was also a, uh, chucking to myself about Barney's recurring dreams because my most most frequent recurring dream of my life which I actually started getting as a fairly small child was I'm I'm drive I'm being driven in a car somewhere um by a woman presumably my wife who I don't see so I you know but I, but I, but I have the sense that it is my wife 
and it's somewhere rural in Ireland, probably in the West. And then we, we're in a car accident and that's how my life ends. So every time I'm in a car now being driven by my wife somewhere outside of Dublin, <laughs> this literally comes straight back into my mind. And my wife is a wonderful woman who's made my life wonderful, you know, live every moment as if it could be her last. But her driving is very much like that as well. <laughs> so, But uh, it, 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 it is interesting where your mind goes where, you know, you feel that this might actually be the end. Mm. Yeah, and I think, and I think maybe as well, a different key difference is if you're sitting in uh, an airplane, just in a seat with your belt on, you can do nothing. You're completely at. You may as well be falling off a cliff for what you could do. Whereas I think if you're in the car and you're driving the car, you are thinking, oh, maybe there's just like a a split second reaction I could do to help this. So I think yes, but they are different sort of scenarios. Anyway. We'll move on from that tweet. Third tweet now, much lighter. We're going to keep it lighter, entertaining show after all. Um, back in February, Barney, you said, Dear Poker Stars, I know you care about responsible gaming. Uh, it says so all over your site. So maybe don't keep waving casino bonuses in my face like some sleazy pusher at the school gates. What should sites do to actually push that gamble responsibly message? To push the gamble responsibility measures. Well, well can, can they really seriously? Do it? I don't. I mean, I, I I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I, um, I I think that um, I guess there needs to be some kind of regulation and control over what goes on with with, with every industry and you know with drinking with whatever. Uh, I haven't really given a lot of thoughts of what that might be. I mean, actually, funnily enough, I was thinking about. When, when you said about how, you know, your politics influences your your view of poker, you know, um, I, I remember um, Vicky Corrin, you know, taking that stand uh, and and saying that she would she didn't want to be a sponsored pro anymore if it meant she had to promote online gaming, and uh, I thought that was incredibly admirable, and wondered whether I would do the same thing in her shoes. Hope that I would kind of doubted it in a way, <laughs> you know, depending on. But 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 I but I you know I, I think that there is there is a clear distinction in my mind, you know, uh, between this game of skill which you can get better at, which you can enjoy, which is worth spending time on and thinking about, and uh, you know roulette and stuff like that. And um, uh, they are very good at, uh, at pushing your buttons, you know, and and. Um, there's something not very nice about it, you know, and, and um, I, I kind of like, I've been playing online a bit because I'm in the UK at the moment because you know, of uh, family stuff. And, and um, so I can play online, which I don't do when I'm in Spain. Uh, and um, sometimes you just don't feel like doing anything except having a little gamble. And, and then some, you know, and it's very easily available and maybe you do a bit too much. And obviously there's some algorithm that notices that you've been doing it and you stopped and it comes and waves a five pound or a 10, but whatever it is in front of your face to try and get you in there. And you know exactly why they're doing it. Uh, and uh, I guess it's, it's business, uh, but it's, you know, it's not, um, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I was genuinely kind of having a little dig at them. I, you know, I was making a joke, but at the same time, it's like, you know, come on, <laughs> leave me alone. I took it very personally. Yeah. All, all the good jokes have a little bit of uh, edge to them, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it, it is one of those things which definitely seems to be getting worse over the time. The sites are, are, are making more and more efforts to get us out of poker into other forms of gambling. And it's not just, you know, giving us bonuses. And uh, it's actually pretty... I feel it's getting easier and easier to misclick into something now as well, because I'm often, you know, playing on lots of different sites and I'll click a button which is not the button I wanted it to click, you know, and, and, and some casino game will pop up. Yeah. And one of the problems I have is that like a lot of the sites now, even their awards schemes, they essentially use the same type of, you know, you, you have to spin a wheel or something to or open a chest. So it can, it can look like one of those things. So I really wonder what would happen if I accidentally clicked, you know, roulette and put a grand on roulette. Um, I think I'd be pretty pissed off and I would certainly try and do something about it, but I, 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 I guess I don't have a legal foot to sta stand on there. Um, but, can you know... Switch it off? Um, can, can, can you... Uh... I don't think so. Um, I believe you can opt out of 
casino completely, which I guess would stop you from at least if it comes up, you couldn't actually gamble on it. Yeah. Right. Uh, which I guess is the thing to do. But again, you know, I'm a lazy poker player, so I'm not actually only like that. I'm just gonna come on here and bitch about the fact that uh, that I could that I could I, I could miss licking in into roulette. Um I mean my my own problem is that you know, I, I, if I opted out sooner or later I would opt in again. <laughs> I mean I you know, I don't I don't do it that often, but every now and again, you know. It's just something you just feel like doing, you know, and it's, mm. uh, I'm not proud of it. <laughs> I, w- I think that's the bigger concern. Yeah. They, they, might, they might catch you on a bad night where you're just like, fuck it. I'm going to, uh, and I, I do have some friends who, um, unfortunately left poker, be- not because of they, they turned into losing players, but when they had like a downswing or a particularly bad day, they would try and get it back at, at, on the wheel. Um, I mean, you know, that's kind of why casino started spreading live cash games, doesn't it? You know, they 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 could see that there were, you know, that that's that's how they were going to get us, and they, and they, uh, I mean, they don't get me that much and that often, but but you know, they, they by God, they know what they're doing. Yeah, for sure. Well, I feel bad now because my fourth tweet also uh, names poker stars, but we're not getting on new poker stars. We know this is a more of a general issue uh you said whatever classless twat this was back in january whatever classless twat thought it was a good idea to let players on poker stars chuck animated khaki bug roll at each other needs to grow the fuck up (laughs) now other sites have followed suit they're not the only uh guilty party on this one and i've actually heard that unibet are also going in this direction with emotes and little animated things so i have to say i'm not a huge fan of it personally and i know you're not a huge fan of it either dara however you have a more nuanced balanced opinion on this stuff so i thought maybe i should give you a chance yeah i mean this has been around for years i think 88 were the first or at least the first that i was aware of and and, and they've been doing it for years i do remember a sam grafton tweet uh, a few years ago saying that you know when, when i never dreamed in college that one day it would, it would, it would come to me come down to me trying to matters as some other player uh, who, who was on his table but um I mean, it adds interaction. The 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 the, the recreations like it. Um, it's also kind of a halfway house between um, chat, which you know everybody thought was a great idea at the start. Oh yeah, we'll have we'll have online chat, and then very quickly it becomes toxic and racist and every other every other badism that you can think got got thrown into chat. So so sites started turning off chat completely. Um, so this is a kind of a I don't know formalized or stylized chat where people can just throw stupid emotes at each other or pull funny faces um so you know um, yeah it's 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 one of those things people do sometimes try to wind you up at the table as well using them which just seems (laughs) insane that anybody would would actually be be annoyed because somebody threw a virtual boggle at them or whatever but barney took to twitter over it maybe maybe it got him on tilt i don't know it's not a hill i want to die on you know but like (laughs) But uh, you know, in that moment, I, I I don't think I'd seen it before. I just thought, well, is that actual brown stuff on top? What what is it? Well, come on, <laughs> please. You were yeah. wiping your face. I mean, it was literally that. That it was just so childish. You know, that I just thought, surely they could. You know, I don't know it'd be better if you had a bow and arrow or something or anything. You know, just, I don't know. But uh, but it was. I, yeah, I could see the funny side as well, but I could see that I could see there was a tweet there, and I hadn't I hadn't done an angry tweet for a few days. So, <laughs> well, we like to end every show on a, a high note and a high brow note. So, at this point, I'm going to turn us over. The interview portion is over, but of course, we always get Dara for his strategy nugget. Dara, what have you got for us this week? Yeah, I've. Um... I put a huge amount of work into this. I've been working on this for months, actually, which is why <laughs> this show got delayed. It had nothing to do with um, us, us wanting to take a break or any of that stuff. It was purely that this this incredibly earth-shattering tip, um, hot from the solvers, is um, is going to change the poker world. But um, what I the 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 point I want to make is when you have different stack sizes, different stack depths, you're your three bet bluffs should be different types of hands. When you have 50 big blinds or less, when, when you're three bet bluffing, typically you want the bluff to get through. Um, that's that's kind of the main objective of the bluff. So you usually use blocker type hands, uh, you know, ASX, bad, bad ASX that isn't good enough to call. Um, so you you figure out what, what are the really strong ASX that I want to bet? What are the 
ASX just below that that are ha- happy enough to call. And then just below that, we'll use those as the three bet bluffs. When you have 100 big blinds steep, it's slightly different. Like, okay, picking up the blinds is, or, or the money that's out there is kind of nice, but that's not really the main purpose when you have 200 big blinds. Um, you are sort of more incentivized to try and win a really big pot now and then. So now you, you, you bluffs and this com- the solvers bear this out. It will choose hands more like jack nine suited, queen nine suited, which, you know, if the guy calls, which is going to happen more often at this stack depth, can actually flop a really big hand, but isn't really like strong enough to just call. Um, so in, now it becomes a case of like you, you're really strong suited connectors want to just call. And then the ones that are just below that, which are not quite good enough to call, they become our bluffs. Excellent stuff. I like it. Short and sweet as well. Barney, you do that already, don't you? You just do everything that Dara said that's already in your arsenal. What, bluffing? No, that's that's that's, that's very sort of 2012, that is bluffing. I, <laughs> I mean, it's actually... What, what, I, I reckon not, you know, that, what, you, what you just said makes complete sense to me and, and um, I'll have to start doing something else now. <laughs> I was actually thinking when we were talking about full tilt earlier and, and Barney was saying like, maybe don't put poker pairs in charge of a really big business. In many ways, the full tilt story is sort of like a semi-bluff that just didn't come in. <laughs> they got called, they didn't get there and we all lost our money as a result. That's a beautiful way of putting it. That's a great summary. Well, look, from full tilt to communism, to stock tips, to near-death experiences, to khaki bog roll, that has been another episode of The Lock-In. Dara, thank you so much as usual. And Barney, thank you. Uh, Kaki Bob Roll, I've got all their records. Thank you. And I'm conscious of the fact that this is three old guys, three, you know, three grumpy old men on a podcast, which isn't going to come out for a while, allegedly. Um, so please, none of us die in the next uh, month or two and make it perfectly obvious that this wasn't recorded at the time. I have, I have quite a going in for minor stomach-stapling <laughs> yeah. surgery next week, David, I know. It's not stomach-stapling surgery, O'Carly. It's, it's a small hiatal hernia. Don't say it's stomach-stapling surgery. <laughs> anyway, it's been a pleasure, guys. Thanks very much. <laughs> Thanks, Barney. Thanks, Barney.